Church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Journey and talked about the healing ministry of Jesus last week and really recommend listening to that if you missed it. Um, I think it was a transition for our church. We're headed in a certain direction. And if you don't catch that, you'll miss the rest of where we're headed. So we're in the book of Luke called The Way. We're studying the gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, um, go to the book of Acts and we'll start there and we'll work our way to Luke. Acts chapter three. Nobody else thought that was funny. Okay. Wow. Are you guys bummed because Bill's not here today? Is that what you thought? Yep, really? Amen. What is going on? I lost you. Acts chapter 3. Here we go. Um, Verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame or crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. When he was put... uh, Uh, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the, hand, by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. Acts chapter 3. This comes after Acts chapter 2, in case you didn't know. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the church and empowers the church to be witnesses. Uh, The people of God are filled with the presence of God to become a witness, a living testimony to the resurrection of Christ. Now, I find this story to be fascinating, and here's why. Peter um, walks into the temple with no silver or gold and looks at a man and says, uh, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Doesn't just say it, but then reaches out his hand like something was going to happen. And the guy grabs on, is instantly strengthened, begins to stand and goes into the temple where he wasn't allowed to go as a crippled or lame individual who was lame since birth. And he begins to walk, which is a sign of what? Physical healing. And then he begins to jump or skip, you could say. Why would somebody jump and skip? It's fun. It's exciting. Maybe they're happy. I mean, so they're physically healed and there's some type of emotional healing. Would you agree? And then he's praising God, which is also a form of spiritual healing. And I find this story fascinating because just a few months earlier, literally maybe 60 days before. How do I know this? Well, uh, Jesus was crucified around Passover um, and uh, Pentecost was the day that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's that means 50th. So 50 days after Passover. And then they go into the temple shortly after that. So around two months, um, Peter goes from denying the fact that he even knew Jesus three times. He's standing outside the high priest's courtyard and a slave girl comes up to him and says, you were with the Nazarene guy. And he says, no, it wasn't me three times and then curses himself saying, I've never known him. And then two months later, he walks to the temple and does what Jesus would do. Would you agree? How did he get there? How did he get from denying 
the resurrection, denying even knowing the guy, to doing exactly what Jesus would do in that situation. I frame this morning with that story because the answer to that question is to answer another question. And that question is this. What does it mean? That question is this. Cue the card. (laughs) What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What do you think it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Because I think to, to answer that question of how Peter got there is to answer this question. And I think it's really appropriate for us in 2014 in Long Beach currently, whether we live in Seal or Westminster or anywhere in Orange County or L.A. County. To answer that question is really important for the future of where we had, it, we had as a church and as individuals. So if you would, let's go back to Luke. And we're going to talk about this idea and answer this question. Are you guys with me? All right, that's a better response then. Are you excited for the second service? Yeah. Verse 3. He got into the boat. Um, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little f- uh, from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I want you to picture that. A huge catch. The boats begin to sink. There's multiple boats involved. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell to Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee and Simon's partner. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. The first picture in Luke's gospel of discipleship is Jesus calling Simon Peter. Peter will be his name later on. Um, to follow him. This comes after the, the most significant financial gift he's ever received in his entire life. This comes after a miracle because for him to say, uh, go away from me, I'm a sinner. He's clearly saying something just happened. Something significant happened. This must be a holy man in the boat because this is a miracle catch. And his first response when Jesus calls him to him, changes his identity from a fisherman to fish for people is... Is to, uh, did you hear that? Someone coming down to get healed or what? Because that's like, I'm not that guy. I can't do that. Um, or can I? Yeah. Well, not me. It's all Jesus anyways. That's last week. Um, so the first response is to leave everything and follow him. And I want you to think about that. The biggest catch of his life, and he leaves it on the shore. The very next scene, uh, uh, go to verse 27 of the same chapter. Um, There's another calling. And I'm I'm bringing up these two kind of um, unique stories. And I'm just going to talk about discipleship in the ancient context. But it's really important that you see what Luke is trying to do. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. He will become Matthew sitting at his tax booth. 
Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So the two stories we have are fishermen leaving everything they have, leaving the nets and the fish on the shore, and a tax collector. And a tax collector in the first century was, um, would be a conspirator with Rome. I mean, they were despised by all other Jewish people. They were considered, um, they, were, they exploited the Jewish community. So they didn't have uh, temple rights. They, really, they were seen as foreigners. They weren't seen as true sons of Abraham. Um, and so tax collectors were enemies. And here you have a tax collector in a booth. So probably he's taking a toll. There are different types of tax collectors, apparently. And he's taking a, maybe a toll tax. If you cross the bridge or if you're entering into the temple, you pay taxes. And so here you have Jesus talking to a guy who's doing what he does for a living, his identity. And he calls him and he leaves everything and follows him. These two stories I really want to press because I think in our culture... Um, I think it's just the wind, so don't be afraid. Are you hearing it, or is it... Okay, I'm just making... Because my wife apparently talks to me, and I don't ever hear her, so I just... Just kidding. Come on, really? No, I'll, I'll need to confess. Sometimes I'm not listening. Um, yep. So, where were we? Um... Uh, what was I talking about? Jesus, Jesus, healing, tax collectors. Oh, no, that's not it. Uh, serious, what's that? The toll, tax collectors, blah, 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 tax. Okay, I've got notes, so hold on. Um, <laughs> so, okay, here we go. Here's the picture. So the picture is they leave everything and follow Jesus. And in our culture today, I don't think that's what we think discipleship means anymore. Would you agree? Um, it, it doesn't seem like uh, uh, discipleship is this response of leaving everything behind and, and following him in a new way. Um, in, our, in our day and age, I, in most churches, and sometimes even here, we might have done this. It, discipleship is seen as static, not dynamic. What do I mean by that? Well, well you might have thought that following Jesus is simply saying yes to a prayer somewhere, like raising your hands here even and saying, I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God, confessing that. And then it's static. You just go on living your life like nothing happened. And now you've got this ticket of some sort, like a transaction's been made in this prayer. Um, and now, uh, and, and that is true. I, I'm saying when you confess that Jesus is God, there is a transaction. You, are, you go from death to life. You go from, from being um, saved, uh, not saved to saved. But, but I think in our church culture, we make it like, let's just make a decision. And discipleship is about living your life like you would live, like you would already live. Or it's about continuing your life that you already have. Like Jesus comes along as a great blesser of, of all your dreams. Like, it's static because we say yes to him and we keep doing what we were already doing. Do you know what I'm talking about? But we feel really good inside because one day he's going to take us out of here and zap us up. And we'll leave it behind. That's, that's not biblical. At all. In fact, he's going to come back and there's going to be a new physical earth and a new heaven. And, but, but that's a whole other conversation. I'm talking about discipleship. And why, why do we allow ourselves to think that if it wasn't true, if it was true then, then it's, and it's not true now? I mean, I've just been processing, uh, and this is just me talking to you guys uh, uh, as, as, as a church that I love. It just seems like we've been missing the point. Discipleship is a dynamic movement. Uh, you, could say, um, you could say, what's the next line? 
that discipleship, uh, they left everything and followed him. To follow Jesus, then, is to actively move from one place to another. Discipleship is about moving from one place to another. They leave the shore and they follow Jesus. They leave the booth and they follow Jesus. Um, you could say that to follow Jesus is to, then to actively move from one place to another. Okay, I'm just trying to get this through my head because I've been trying to figure out how to communicate this concept. Here's what I think. We're calling this series The Way. Because I believe that there is a way the world works. And the world operates a certain way. But Jesus comes along and offers us an entirely different way to live. He offers us a new way to live. And brothers and sisters, uh, we are all being shaped by the space around us. I, I think it's a terrible mistake to assume that the world is a neutral space. And stay with me for a minute. It is far from neutral. We live in a world that is contested. We are being shaped in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the industries we live in, in the world, by uh, forces that are against our thriving and flourishing in the way God created it to be in the first place. Can we agree to that? That it doesn't take much to recognize that, that if we just keep going on living as we live, we will be discipled by the world's way. That we are being transformed and molded into uh, uh, the way of the world. Can we, can we go with that? All right, you with me on that? Um, so our lives are, are, are being shaped not by chance uh, and not even by choice, but by forces that are vying to bend us a particular way. And we are, by default, disciples of the world. And the world's disciples, our lives, uh, are, as the world's disciples, our lives begin to take uh, a particular shape. And here's, here's some of the things that I believe. We move from faith to doubt. We move from love to insecurity. Look around you for a moment and think about this. Think about the people you interact with. You move from a place of love and security to insecurity when it comes to the way the world operates and works. We move from uh, otherness or community to individualism, which is destroying the church. We move from generosity to greed. It becomes all about us. And we move from uh, rest to exhaustion. If we continue thinking that the world is just a neutral place, we will be discipled into those places, into doubt, into insecurity, into uh, individualism, into greed, and into exhaustion. Can anyone say, yeah, that's been my experience with this world so far? But Jesus comes around and challenges the way the world works. And he offers us a new way. And discipleship is about moving from one thing to another. And here's a couple of things that I just thought were interesting. The discipleship is a dynamic movement where you move from death to life. Where you move from shame to acceptance. From self to others. From consumerism to mission or living for others. From striving to abiding. Is there another slide uh, that you got? I put a couple more. No, you didn't get that one, huh? I didn't email you. Sorry. There are a couple of other ways that we see this work out. Uh, we move from, uh, um, from sinfulness to holiness. We move from brokenness to wholeness. We move from addiction to freedom. Does anyone think this is good news? 
We move from pride to humility. We move from all sorts of things and we find ourselves becoming patient and kind and gentle and full of love and peace and forgiveness. Jesus moves us to become fully alive in him. This is what discipleship is about. From moving from one place to another. It's not static. It's not make a decision and then go on living your merry way. It's about becoming a person that really lives. Are you with me? This is what this life of discipleship is all about. It's all about a new way to live. To follow Jesus then is to actively move from one place to another. Where do you need to move from? As you examine your life, what are the areas that you see that you need to move from here to that direction? I mean, it's fascinating because I think as a disciple, for me, uh, it's, it's, it's a constant kind of reorienting my life to Jesus' uh, ideals for my life. And what I'm talking about when I talk about discipleship is not that we're earning our way to salvation or becoming more loved by, doing, by becoming a better person. That's not at all what I'm talking about. We're saved by grace. We can't do anything more to earn God's love and favor, period. As a follower, we are dearly beloved saints. Paul will say you are hagioi. That's a Greek word. That means... Um, uh, holy ones or saints and, and that's who we are in Christ but when we talk about discipleship we're talking about a dynamic movement of becoming somebody that we weren't but we are now are you with me? Um, and for me there are small ways that this plays out so you know there are big ways for example like when I uh, came back to Jesus because I left him and then came back and um, I was an actor and I thought I was going to study acting my whole life I wanted to live on the stage and I really wanted to become famous I wanted to be very successful I studied uh, method acting I was very passionate about it and then when I was called into ministry it was like a death to all the dreams and ideas I had for my life it was a sacrifice it was literally like, okay, everything I thought I was going to be, I can't be that anymore. And it was, it was like a surrender to something new. And I didn't know what it was going to be. But there are, that's like a dramatic, oh, and then some of us, we're in the world, we're, we're partying, we're sleeping with women, and we're doing things that we know are bad, we don't believe in a God, and we, we accept Jesus, and we see radical transformation from that dead life to a whole new life where no longer those things are going on. That's a dynamic movement that keeps on going. But there are other ways that we find ourselves becoming alive in Christ as disciples. For example, just to put my life on display, um, do you know what's really hard for me to do as a pastor? Tithe. What does discipleship have to do with tithing? Everything. Because when medical bills come up or when um, expenses get higher um, uh, and you have a kid or whatever it is, all of a sudden the first thing that you think you want to kind of take back is that tithe. Does anyone else struggle with that? Your car breaks down. Well, I don't have to give that much, you know, maybe just a couple months. Go on that vacation. Does anyone? Okay, this is maybe way too serious. I struggle with that. I have to challenge, my wife and I have to challenge this thing inside of me that says, I don't really trust you, God. So discipleship is about aligning my, my income and living consistently with the way of Jesus. Um, uh, other ways, for example, one of the ways that I'm distracted uh, is through TV, Netflix really, and then Hulu, Hulu Plus. Um, does anyone notice that there are way more commercials on Hulu these days? Okay, I'm going to keep asking for participation. It just helps me. So I'm not the only one. But it doesn't matter what it is because I become addicted immediately to that show. Parenthood. Seriously? 
can you, like, they, I don't know how they do it, but in the last five minutes, you are always crying at the end. It is ridiculous, right? And Breaking Bad's done, so I don't have that show anymore. I just get excited about the rumors of the, you know, prequel that's going to happen. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Off, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I will find shows. And, it, you know, when you're up at 4 o'clock with a baby who might be sleeping or might not be, you just want to check out. And Jesus has recently been talking to me and saying, well, why don't you use this as a time to lead your family in prayer? Oh, man. Not the Netflix. Come on. Leave everything. Well, for some of us, it's Hulu Plus. <laughs> That's not so bad. But those are the small ways we don't allow ourselves to become the person God wants us to be. That's like on a micro level. What are all the other ways we're blowing it? Oh, why don't you pray for your meal publicly and actually close your eyes and don't care about making people feel awkward? That's so small. Let's actually read the Bible, not the Jesus calling, that's fine. But let's actually read the book, not a book about the book that only takes you one verse a day. Like, come on. Okay, where are you on the spectrum? There's not a, a more holy route, but there are ways we become more fully alive in Christ. And it's a dynamic movement of progress. So, I can spend... That's right. Thank you. I can spend... I can say, okay, just on a side note, I, I did try to get uh, Clancy, our piano player, to come up and play while I was doing the sermon. I was just practicing beforehand, but it became too hilarious. It was just like, Jesus, dun 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 You move from death to life, dun 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 It's a dynamic movement, you know, it's just, it would be a comedy show, which it obviously is now. So, going back. Gosh, man. Anyways, um, I don't even remember what I was saying. Okay, we can spend the whole rest of this day and we can start writing series on all the ways we can challenge this idea in our own lives. That it's about becoming, being filled with Christ. It's about having the character of Christ. It's about moving from shame to acceptance. When I said that, I know something went on, uh, uh, just hit so many of you. When we talk about being the beloved, when we sing, um, uh, oh, how he loves us, we, it's something inside. We're like, oh, yes, I need to be reminded of that. Yes. And so much of our discipleship talk and talks are just about that. But that's not the only part of being a disciple that I want to talk about. That's not all the disciples do. There's so much more. So go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Verse 1. So, moving from one place to another. And there's some other stuff involved, apparently, that Jesus had in mind with his disciples. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power or the ability or capacity to actually do something, and authority, which is the right to do something, to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. So he calls the twelve together. He gives them power and authority to do what? Cast out demons, heal the sick, and proclaim the kingdom. You with me? Oh, that's just the twelve. Go to chapter 10. And then chapter 10 of Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others on top of the 12 and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was going to go. Flip over to verse 17. This is what happens after they go. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Brothers and sisters, 
when Jesus calls his disciples, you know what they didn't do? Well, let me back this up. Let's just say Jesus was around today in our church world. And Jesus says, I'm giving you guys power and authority, the 12. I'm giving you power and authority to, to proclaim the kingdom, to, to cast out demons and heal the sick. Let me tell you what would happen if he did that today. First of all, the 12 guys would get together and they'd pull out their calendars and they'd try to figure out a day of the week that they can meet and hang out together. And so what you realize right away is that everyone's super busy because Peter has a family and apparently he's got some fishing partners and he's got some kids and he's coaching their soccer practice. So he doesn't have that much time throughout the week because he's trying to be a good f- a father figure to his kids and a businessman. Uh, James, the son of Alpheus, well, well, he is paying off synagogue loans, so he's working two jobs. He's extremely busy as well. Um, uh, Thomas, he's just kind of that, that mean, that, that guy that's just doubting everything anyways, so he's frustrated that there's 12. He really wants it to be only four, because then they could get really deep, you know, but there's 12, so he's dealing with that. And then there's John, who's the youngest, and he's still in synagogue school or fisherman training school, and he's still working his way through his thing, and, and Bartholomew, poor Bartholomew. He is, oh man, he just got uh, a bad breakup recently. He really thought she was the one. And so he's practicing boundaries, you know, so he's not going to commit, commit to anything right now because he thinks that God's preparing him for whatever's next. And you know, so, and, and the story goes on. So they, they get together and, and they finally figured it out. It's one, it's every other Tuesday from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. And so what they decided to do is they get together at their favorite coffee shop and they order their, you know, first century cappuccinos or lattes or whatever it is. They get together in the corner of this coffee shop. And what usually does, it starts off with what they call a check-in. And the check-in is going around talking about their weeks. And it's all about the sin. It's all about the ways they've blown it. It's all about the fights they're having with their wives or their girlfriends or the longing to be back with the one. It's all about that stuff. And then they finally open up the book about the book. And the book about the book has one verse and a couple of pages about that verse afterwards. And it's really, really watered down. And it's all about whether or not the power and authority is for today. And so Thomas keeps saying it's not for today. Clearly it's not. I haven't seen it. I haven't touched it. I haven't experienced it for myself. And John's just so passionate. He's like, it's got to be for today. And they don't ever get around to actually doing the stuff what did the disciples do they did what jesus did but why 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 is the church without power i should sit down i don't have a stool why is the church talking about the stuff and not doing the stuff what defined the disciples of jesus christ they did what jesus did It should be no surprise to us that Peter walks into the gate and does exactly what Jesus would do if he was in that situation and has the faith to not just say it. Do you have any idea how many times I've walked past the 7-Eleven and whispered in myself, uh, I don't have money or gold in the name of Jesus, pick up your mat, but I've never been willing to say it out loud and grab the guy's hand. I've been wondering, maybe God's like, go for it. What's the worst that can happen? You look like a fool. Anyways, I'm just confessing my stuff too because I keep saying no to that as well. The point is this. Here's the point. Discipleship is not about talking about the stuff. It's about doing the stuff. And here's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to do what Jesus did. And I have plenty of evidence and proof. Let me show you. In Israel, learning and education was based on an intimate relationship between a teacher and a student. 
One of the scholars, an Old Testament scholar, says this. In the ancient Near East, teachers had always gathered around themselves disciples in order to receive instruction and pass on their ideas. In the Jewish community, um, the basic family, uh, basic unit of instruction was the family. The expectation the parents had was to pass on their faith and lifestyle to their kids. Deuteronomy 6.4 talks about telling the great stories of God to your kids so that they would grow up as followers of Torah, the, the Old Testament. But there are two primary reasons that the intimate relationship between a teacher and student, for intimate relationship. Here are the two reasons. Number one, teaching in the ancient cultures uh, was largely transmitted orally. We didn't have paper and pen to write it down. And, and number two is teaching was to be lived out by being with the teacher and imitating their life. The expectation of a disciple was to imitate your teacher's life. That's what was expected of you as a student. And so in ancient cultures, we see that the disciple wasn't just to know what they knew, uh, what his teacher knew. It was to do what he did, but to become like his teacher. And then there are, there's even, we've talked about this before, but there are, um, uh, there's a rabbinic tradition. And I've, I've talked on this uh, in detail, and I'm just going to kind of go over this quickly for those of you that haven't heard. But the Jewish community, uh, they were given the Old Testament as Torah, life. And it, it was the instruction manual for how to live. And it was what separated them from everyone else, every other nation. It was the fact that God chose that, that community to represent him on earth. And the way you represented him was to live Torah, to live the life of the Old Testament, basically. Now, the way to preserve culture was to train and educate your kids. And so they developed a highly um, systematic education system. And it started with Beit Sefer. And Beit Sefer is called House of Books. And every single Jewish boy and girl from ages 6 to 10 would go to the local synagogue and they would be educated in the Old Testament, mainly Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Something, there's five of them. And those five books, they would be trained in the law. And then after that, they would graduate at 10 years old and most of them would go off into the workplace. They would become apprentices to fishermen if their parents were fishermen. They would uh, become stonemasons. They would live um, what their family did. And, but the education system continued, and the best of the best of those 10-year-olds would go on to the next level of education, which was called Beit Talmud. And Beit Talmud means house of learning. And here from ages 10 to 14 or 10 to 13, um, those kids that were the best of the best would be trained in the entire Old Testament. And after three to four years, they would have the entire Old Testament memorized. Genesis to Malachi, memorized. In their memorization, they would also pick up on the rabbi teachings, the oral traditions that weren't written down during the time. And so they would be educated in those ways. Now, after that, around 14, 13 or 14 years old, most kids, if not all, would go home. Then they would learn the family trade and they would uh, kind of integrate into society. And, but what would happen after that is the best of the best of the best, those that were the, the smartest and the brightest and had the most capacity, they would continue their education and become a Talmudin. They'd become a disciple of a rabbi. And uh, they would study in Beit Midrash, which is house of study. And there they would go to a local rabbi. And they would petition to a rabbi and, and say, I want to follow you. And then the rabbi would grill them and just question them and, and think about all the possibilities that this kid needs to know. Because the rabbi wanted to know, can this kid know what I know? Can this kid do what I do? Can he become like me? Because the rabbi wanted to spread his teaching, which was his lifestyle, 
around the world. And the expectation of that disciple was he had to be the best of the best and the best. And if the rabbi thought he was the best, he would say, come follow me. And that disciple would leave everything, leave his family, leave his parents, leave the workplace, and spend the rest of his journey before he'd become his own rabbi, rabbi, following that rabbi and becoming like that rabbi. That's what it meant to be a disciple in the first century. You have ancient context, you have both Greek and Jewish context of discipleship, and you have um, a deep rabbinic context. So the goal of discipleship was to reproduce the teacher's life in the life of his students so that he would leave behind someone like himself. He would leave behind his message, his ministry, and his life. All were to be replicated in his disciples. Are you with me? Jesus takes uneducated fishermen and tax collectors and says, you can become like me. You don't have to just know what I know. You don't, you're not going to just know what I know. You're going to do what I did. You can do what I do. You're going to become like me. This is what he taught. This was the expect, expectation. So for those of us that have been in the church for a while, discipleship is not simply a transferring of knowledge. Western context, we worship knowledge in our education system. All we do is feed knowledge. By the time... You're, you go to uh, school, graduate school, or even college. All you're thinking about is theory. There's no hands-on practical apprenticeship. But in the old kind of the discipleship model, uh, it's not just a transferring of knowledge. Discipleship is not a program in a church. It's not something that you can check off a list if it's on the website. You don't become a disciple after a four-week class. <laughs> it's not just a Bible study. It's not just a group of guys hanging out. Discipleship is about deciding that Jesus is the most important thing in your life and allowing everything else to be reoriented around your relationship to Him. Are you following me? There we go. That's where the piano would help so much. Discipleship is about, being, uh, is about a life devoted to Jesus. Um discipleship, sorry, disciples are people who reorient their entire existence around their decision to follow Jesus. Disciples are being, uh, are people who are being transformed to be like Jesus. Disciples are people who continue the message and ministry of Jesus in their unique context. That's what it means to be a disciple, not just to become like him in character, although that's true, but to do what he did, guys. To proclaim the kingdom, to cast out demons and heal the sick. This is how the ministry would continue. Jesus knew his ministry would continue by simply doing what rabbis did with disciples. Brothers and sisters, I think one of the reasons the church is no longer effective in American context, we're losing people like crazy. The millennial generation is the least church generation in history in the United States. It might have something to do with the fact that Jesus is not a comfortable savior who uh, acts like a vending machine in our consumeristic, materialistic world fed by narcissism in our church. Those are some heavy, that's heavy language, but that we worship the Jesus of suburbia, the Jesus that wants to bless my dreams. A lot of us worship Jesus, the accessory. You know, that that jacket that you wear when it's the right season. That you can take off when it's inconvenient. We worship the Jesus, the commodity. You know, just the craft 
beer or, or the, the pour over coffee, just a little bit of sugar or, or no sugar at all. Just try it black. We worship that type of Jesus that fits into our schedule. A little bit of time here, five minute, you know, uh, a five minute devotion as I drive my car and listen to you version or whatever it is. We worship the Jesus, the, the polite philosopher who's teaching some spiritual practice that wants to make us kind. That's not the Jesus of the New Testament. And if you follow the Jesus of the New Testament, you're going to discover that he's not comfortable at all. He's comforting. He's not safe for the family at all. He brings a sword. He's dangerous. He, he doesn't want to come to calm your storms. That's not the point of the story. He wants you to be the kind of person of faith that will keep rowing when the storms come. Because he said, let's get across the lake. Can you become the kind of person that keeps his head down and keeps rowing when suffering and chaos are all around you and you feel like you're going to drown? Can you pray to the God who's in the boat that way? He tells you to step out on the water. And I don't know what kind of blind philosophy there's out there that God doesn't give you too much to handle. I feel like that's all he does. We don't realize how much we can handle. For some people, dying a martyr's death, they can handle. Can you believe that? Brothers and sisters, I think part of the problem is that we're worshiping the wrong Jesus. And we've allowed our discipleship to be simply a static relationship. Jesus comes and demands our entire existence. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me, according to Matthew. Anyone who wants to be uh, to be first must be very last and the servant of all. Our only response is to leave everything and follow him. So Jesus came to reproduce his life in his disciples. He came to reproduce his ministry in those that will follow him. This is what happened 2,000 years ago, and this is what's happening today. So the question for you is, what does it mean for you to be a disciple today? As a disciple, you're becoming more like Jesus. You're becoming more fully yourself. You continue the work and ministry and life of Christ. You are called not to live on mission like it's a choice, but your life is now mission. Let me say that again. You're not called to live on mission. Your life is mission. Bonhoeffer says this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what discipleship is about. It's an invitation to actually learn how to really live. To follow Jesus and partner with him in the renewal of all things. In 40 AD, there were roughly 1,000 Christians in the Roman Empire. 40 years, uh, about 10 years after Jesus died and was resurrected. By 350 AD, there were nearly 30 million Christians. In, less than th- in about 310 years... That's 53% of the entire population of the Roman Empire. They were converted within 310 years. Do you think it's because they got together to talk about the power that they think they have? You see, the intensity and intentionality of the lives of the early church members set them apart from much of the religious activity of its day. Faith was not an addition to their life. It reframed their entire existence. I want to invite you this morning to reframe life itself. I want you to think about what it means for you now to follow Jesus. Some of you have said yes to Jesus, but the Jesus you said yes to is a consumer God. It's a suburban God. 
It's not the New Testament God. It's the God that comes to make your life easier. Jesus will not make your life easier. And I'm speaking as a pastor. You don't have to take my word for it. But recently I've been through some serious events that have caused me to question everything. Um, Suffering mainly, watching my son nearly die. And I'll tell you this. It is not easy to remain true to the, the person God's called me to be. It's much easier to reject to reject it all and fall under the weight of why me, God, are you really there and doubt and question and all that's fine. It's, it's much, it's difficult to stay true to God. You are true to your word. So show up even when he's not showing up. I trust you even when, when my finances don't show that. I just following him is hard work. It's a constant reorienting of your entire existence to be true to him. But it's more than that. And it's not just, it's not just about those things. It's about becoming the kind of person that could say prayers and have them answered. How dangerous is that to the kingdom of the world? To be the kind of person that prays the prayers that Jesus would pray that could say to the guy, get up. Let's do this. That's what you're called to be. That's what we're invited to be. It's not, okay, go, go check out and grab Jesus Calling. That's fine. Read Jesus Calling. It's so much more than that. It's so much more. And you're invited into a great story. And I want to invite you to reframe life itself. For those of you that have said yes to the wrong Jesus, the accessory, the addition, the commodity, I want to invite you to say yes to the real king. And I have two questions to end my time. I'm going to have the the worship team come up. We're going to respond. My first question is this. We talked about discipleship being a dynamic uh, from one place to another. I really want you to consider this for a moment. What must you leave behind? If you're going to say yes to Jesus, what are you leaving? I've mentioned, you know, some of you, it's big stuff. It's clearly sin, addiction, alcohol, habits, sex, greed. Yes, but some of it, it's far more subtle. It's the things that are keeping you from becoming the person God's called you to be. And you know exactly what it is right now. It doesn't take a person telling you. As soon as I said it, you're reminded in your heart and mind of that very thing that keeps you from being you. You with me? What do you have to leave behind? What do you have to set aside? What, what has been defining you outside of, of you being a follower of Jesus? And what must you step away from to find a life of devotion? What distracts you? Think of those things. And second, what will you step into? My challenge this morning is that if you are an active follower of Jesus, um, casting out demons, healing the sick, doing the stuff that Jesus did doesn't take a seminary degree. It's, It's who you are now. It's what you get to do as part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. For those of you that want to learn how to pray for the sick, Pray for sick people. (laughs) What do you step into? Start praying for people. (laughs) It's not some philosophical idea that I'm trying to convince you of. Just do the stuff that Jesus did. You'll learn it. Do you want to get good at praying for people? Pray for a lot of people. He'll make you good at it. I guarantee it. If you want to pray for sick people, go to the homeless, um, go to the rescue mission. There are a lot of sick people there that are hurting That sickness has paralyzed them. Go spend some time there and just be a gentle servant that prays quietly. I guarantee you will learn how to pray for sick people. What are you stepping into? 
spiritual disciplines. Some, you know what the common uh, plague is of our generation? Laziness. We, 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 we have allowed busyness to become the new... La- it's really just... Busyness is uh, the hidden laziness in our life. Because busyness means we're important. It means we don't have to uh, be criticized. It means we, we're all over the place. And so many of us are so busy filling our lives with TV and Internet and social media and all sorts of things. And we don't have any time for God to whisper into our souls the very thing that's renewing this place. Because He wants you to play. And to put it simply... What do you step into? Well, here on Sundays, you get to do the stuff. You get to play a part in seeing healing and wholeness and people coming to know Jesus. That's what it means for you to be a disciple today is to do what Jesus did. So can we stand? Let's pray. Now, I just want to invite you to close your eyes right now. And... um, I know there's a timeline and we're all excited to get home and eat that sour cream and onion dip. Those little mini hot dogs. Thank you, Lord, for a Super Bowl Sunday. Some of us are excited. But I don't want you to miss it. Miss an opportunity to actually move forward, to leave something behind and move forward. Um, So I'm just going to do this. Some of you need to say yes to the Jesus I'm talking about. Will you just raise your hands and say, yeah. It's been a while. I need to say yes to that Jesus. Just raise him up high. Just stay there. And just follow. Lord, I just confess I've been worshiping the wrong God. I've been worshiping a God I've made in my own image. It makes me feel comfortable and safe. Jesus Christ, Son of God, the resurrected Messiah, would you come and be my Lord? Teach me how to follow you, not the other stuff I've been following. And I confess I've missed it, but I thank you that I've been forgiven. Help me reorient my life to you. In your name, amen. Thank you. That's a lot of you. So there's a lot. I'm not done. (laughs) Some of you, and you're going to be all weirded out by this. We empower You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 to be continually filled. I want to invite you, if you're like, yes, you know what, I'm missing it. I just want to be prayed for and receive more of the Holy Spirit. Would you just come down right now um, and just fill this area so that you can go out into your workplace, into your homes as as a presence to be met with, as a gift to uh, the world that's transforming this place. We need the power of God to do this. We cannot do it on your own. You can't do it because you read your Bible. You can't do it because you're in a small group. You can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And just come stand. Close your eyes. Get in a comfortable posture of waiting. And this is how we wait. Just a posture that says, God, I'm open to you. And we're going to sing a song together while we wait. And then we're going to pray. So just stay in a comfortable position. I'm going to let you sing this song first. And then after, I'm going to come up and lead us in a time of prayer. So let's just wait on the Lord and sing this song together. Your spirit speaks. He moves in me. And I awaken to your love. You're drawing me unto my knees, and I'm astounded by your love. 
I just want to stay where you are. Keep your eyes closed. For those of you that came forward, what a great song just to receive. I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you. Um, Holy Spirit, would you just come and minister to us uniquely? We've come forward, God, obviously responding to you. Just more of you, God. We just pray that you would fill us. If you came forward, I just invite you to have a posture of receiving. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill you. Now we're going to pray. I just want our uh, prayer team, if you can, go around praying for, there's a lot of people up here. We'd love to pray uh, for you guys. And just stay in a posture of receiving while this happens. Hey, so those of you that are new to church, I just want to let you know what's going on. Um, I grew up in a non-charismatic experience. I didn't believe that the Spirit was for today. And then I I met the Holy Spirit, basically. And that changed my whole understanding. Um, And the individuals coming forward, just stay where you guys are. They're just wanting to receive, and it, 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 we believe that God actually will meet with us. And it has nothing to do with our capacity at all, but our openness. And then as a prayer team, we actually don't pray crazy things. Uh, we try to be as normal as possible, as non-supernatural as possible, because we are so normally, supernaturally supernatural, you could say. And so we're just going to go around laying hands and praying. And some people are laughing, giggling over here. It's kind of funny. I always laugh at people. Some people cry when they receive the Holy Spirit. They just start crying. I make fun of those people too. But it's totally okay to be in a place of just openness. Some people will shake. Some people feel the weight of God and just want to lay down. Whatever that is, just freedom, permission to go for it. So let's just pray. Um, They're going to play music. Uh, I want to close our time. We're going to keep going, but for those of you that need to go, feel free. I'll just close our time. So Jesus, bless everyone here. May we bring this out, God. May we do the stuff that you did wherever we go. Fill us with your spirit to, to be the disciples that you called us to be. Not to just talk about it, although talking's good, but to do the stuff. God, give us grace for ourselves. I, I do feel that some people here are just thinking that they need to work harder. It's not about that. Um, And Jesus, I just want to pray, too, for my brothers and sisters, those that are living in addiction, um, that there is freedom, that there is another way to live. And I pray for those. uh, There are some, I just feel right now, that there are those that are called to other nations. You have a missionary calling to go to another place. I would like to pray for you if you could come forward. There's probably a few people that just feel called to a unique place. I want to pray for those. Just come forward and let me know. But in the name of Jesus, I bless you. You guys have a great week. Don't forget to sign up for our second service. And the rest of us, we're going to get prayer. So uh, come forward if you want prayer. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.